0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Emma Sexton. Still lots of holiday skydiving from Nat and Harriet this week, so I was joined by Lucy Berryford and Claudia Liza Amar. In this episode, we were joined by the incredible Elizabeth Acevedo, author of Poet X and the first woman of colour to win the Carniki medal. We talked about tokenism and being a slam poet and Elizabeth even gave us a bit of a demo. A total Wonder Woman. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. And then we dialled up the badass again with Pola Diana, author of Saving the World and the reason why she found her voice and wanted to create change for us all.
2: Underwear, armpit, hair, many imitators, but now one compares.
1: Badass women's hour excel with Harriet
3: Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One,
0: two, three, four!
3: But not just a Carnegie Medal winner, so young, be already a New York Times bestseller, National Book Award for Young People's Literature winner, Prince Award for Excellence, Boston Globe Globehorn <laughs> Book Award. I just had to stop writing because it was just <laughs> I just ran out of space um, on my on my little notepad. Um but Elizabeth, yeah. Congratulations,
4: well done. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
3: Did you know that you were going to be the first person of colour to to win this award?
4: No, I mean, I, I think I have a better sense of the awards in the States. And when I was informed that I was on the shortlist for this award, I, I never really anticipated my book would translate Internationally, I mean, it is so focused on a particular neighborhood in New York City and a particular demographic of people, right? Afro-Dominicans yeah. in this space and Caribbean folks in this space. And so to be shortlisted was incredible. And I was alongside, you know, some big-name authors. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to win. But it wasn't until the morning of the ceremony that I learned that if I were to win, I would be the first non-white person yeah. ever to win this award. I mean, this prize. And it... it It blew my mind, really, to think about the histories um, that England has has had with so many different continents and different nations, all English-speaking, and yet...
3: Yeah, so let me give a little bit of background, if you don't already know... uh Essentially, two years ago, in the long list, they had 20 books and none of the authors uh, were of colour. They, they were all white authors, white writers. And there was there was an outcry. There was like, are you telling me there aren't any decent um, black people, Asians, um, Middle Eastern people? So they decided to carry out an independent review. And in it, the people who were judging these books, you know, some of them librarians, brilliant librarians, whoever you are, if you are white librarians, fantastic, that's <laughs> great. But it was a whole new world. They didn't know of any other authors outside of their world potentially and and so understandably you know not throwing any any shade here but understandably they would only put forward authors and writers that they knew who were predominantly white so they changed that and so they opened it up so that other people um from other backgrounds and it could be better represented and then that's how they found people like yourself elizabeth i mean what more do you think needs to be done to make sure that we can continue to have the right diversity in this?
4: I think it's a, it's the first step that really matters. What I worry about often with any award or any type of publishing where there's an outcry like that is that there's the token win. Mm. Yes. And and it would be easy for someone to look at me and say, Oh, she was only nominated and only won because of the outcry that happened two years ago. But when you look at the structural changes that were made, right, how do we look at the literature at the level of the line and talk about not all people speak syntactically the same Mm -hmm. and it is okay to allow a piece of text into the canon that maybe doesn't you know map the sentence in the same way you learned a sentence has to be mapped that includes other languages that talks about communities that maybe you're you're confused by Mm -hmm. or don't understand and so I think that it's those structural changes in the criteria changed not just well we're gonna put forth these five people and you pick the best one out of these five but once they realized that they had to change the structure we saw that they were a lot more nominations of folks of color, right? It wasn't just me who was on that long list or on that short list. And I think it's about changing the systems. Mm
1: -hmm. Because what was uh, some of the background when I was reading my notes is that one of your drivers to write was because you used to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And did you have a student at school who was not seeing herself represented in the stories or couldn't identify with the stories? You tell us a bit more about that and how that became a
4: catalyst for you writing. Sure, I was a secondary school teacher. I taught at a school where my students were predominantly of color. students who had been underserved their entire lives, so they were not on reading level. It was eighth grade, and they were reading at a sixth grade level. I'm not really sure how that the age range translates here, but they were 14 years old, and they were reading like 11-year-olds, right? Right, And having to prepare to go on to university at some point, and they were not prepared for that. I was 22 years old, in charge of 150 kids, and I had had no sense of what I was doing. It was a mess, right? But I knew that if I could get them to love literature... Everything else would fall into place. That was my number one goal. Can I get you to read?
1: And what made you? What made you think that? What was your background? Had you been heavy into literature and reading and seen how it had helped you? Or because you know that's a really amazing mm-hmm. thing for you to at twenty two to have that vision and go. Actually, if I can just get them to be yeah. reading, that's going to ha- help excel them more than perhaps doing a bit of extra math
4: homework. Or yeah, I mean, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in a neighborhood where not a lot of folks were reading or weren't um, participating in, in literature. I didn't know any writers, I didn't know any poets, but my mother took me to the library every single weekend. She, yeah. I had a library card from the time that I was three. I was a voracious reader. I had school teachers who would you know, hand me as many books as I could get my hands on. And so I was in an environment when I was teaching where everything was about testing. Can we get these students yeah. to test? And I couldn't teach them how to test, right? I didn't know what that meant. But if I can get you to read, you can figure out any answer on this exam as yeah. long as you have the skills of being able to analyze text. Yeah, yeah, And so that was all I fell back on because it made the most sense to me.
2: So you had experienced this great love of literature mm-hmm. you'd have been given that gift by your mother and it had served you so well. And then you came across pupils in your school when you were teaching who hadn't had those opportunities right. to, to have that gift. And, and that's what you gave them. That's right. the most incredible thing.
4: Right. And for many reasons, they hadn't had that kind of that that relationship with literature. And, and I went out. Um, this one student looked at me one day and was like, like, none of this is about us. Like I don't even know why it matters. Like you want us to sit here and read these books, like Mm. this isn't about us. Mm. And and I went out and got all these books that I thought reflected her background. I brought them back into the school. And within two weeks, this young person had finished everything I put in front of her. And then she looked at me and said, What's next? And it felt like such a moment of like a baton of (laughs) is it you or is it not you? (laughs) Right? Like what make And, and I was a writer at the time, but I didn't think I could be a novelist right my perception of novelist was like oh this highfalutin yeah. ability to like do all of these amazing things i couldn't do and it 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 was such a challenge to then consider what makes me think i am less than yeah and, and you know i want to i want to go back to
3: that outcry and to the you know you were talking about tokenism and just to explain that the outcry wasn't just saying, look, let's just give more black people right. awards. Let's just give more Asians awards. Right. The outcry was a wider issue in terms of representation within literacy, in terms of the number of people from ethnic backgrounds, from working class backgrounds mm-hmm. who just weren't reading the way they mm-hmm. should do. And then it was not carrying through to that award level. <laughs> what What have you seen in terms of, in, and you spoke about it um, a little bit, what have you seen in terms of getting young people and ethnic minorities into reading, into literacy, because in fact, actually, Marley Blackman, um, Mm -hmm. fantastic children's and and teenager author young person's author, she's just come out today and said, there are just not enough BAME representation in children's books. Mm Mm-hmm. That's outrageous. Today, today, and you know what? I'm going to bring it back to me. Um, my son at my school, at his school, he had a book day. They had a, a children's bookstore come into the school and I walked in, I walked around and there was not one children's book which had a, a black person in it. Right. Oh, and really? and I and I went back, I went to the, the owners of the bookshop who, you know, just came to the school for the day. And I, I wasn't angry, you know, maybe a little bit disappointed if I'm going to be honest, but I wasn't angry, but I said, oh, you know, my son, he's six years old and he's looking for, you know, a book maybe we, that he could relate to. A little bit, and they looked at me, and they were a little bit shocked as well. But they didn't, you know, appreciate that that is something they should be including. As as I say, um, Elizabeth, how much of an issue is that for
4: even today? No, I think I think you're. That's exactly right. When we look at the percentages of um, people of color, uh, both I think right in the UK and in the United States, that percentage is not reflected by perhaps the one percent of books that come out that have a character of color often not even written by people of colour mm-hmm. and so that depiction isn't even coming from a community that is entrenched and understands the kinds of things that are being reflected in that text right and so I, I when I say token I just mean I've heard such an outcry sometimes. Oh you've heard it, I've right? heard it how many
3: times I've been told i got a job because I'm and black. And it's just so I'm frustrating. Like, oh, fact, you know I've studied, I've worked hard, right. nothing to do with right. that no, because I'm just black. But, yeah.
4: but the thing is that this is not only a disservice for people of colour right for black folks who don't see themselves right there. I love this quote by Dr. Rudine Sims-Bishops in the United States, and she says um, all children's books should be mirrors, an opportunity to see yourself, but they should also be windows, an opportunity into an experience different than your own. When people think they are well-read, but only really read reflections of themselves over and over and over over again. They still still know so little. They know so little and there is such a lack of empathy. And I think we're seeing it in the world right now. We just want to see ourselves affirmed and see ourselves being the hero. But how many people does that leave out of the narrative? Now,
2: you've raised a really interesting point, which is that if most of the books are being written by, let's say, white people, and they're not going to be able to write um, anything other than what they know, because that's what we're all encouraged to do, write what you know. How can we encourage, because you, you yourself as you said had that moment where in a way the baton was passed to you and you had to say okay i'm gonna have to step up to the plate here how can we encourage more bame
4: people actually writing their own stories Mm. sure and i think i i i love being in this space and i kind of want to open up the space to bme Mm. writers right because the struggles that are happening here are a little bit different than the states so i would not want to take up or speak for Mm. but when i consider in the states the kinds of things that need to happen are initiatives at every single level of publishing Because yes, writing, yes, changing the creative writing courses, yes, changing the grad schools, yes, allowing workshops that are free for folks who maybe aren't at graduate levels who can work on the craft of writing, but also who are the publicists, who are the marketers, who are the editors, who are all of the gatekeepers, Mm. right, who are going to find the safest story that maybe doesn't reflect the actual community that it's writing about. Because those folks often, similar to, I think, a lot of the librarians or or different folks who are in charge of these awards, they know the world that they know. And sometimes it's like, well, I think I can sell this because that might be too far that way or maybe not enough people will buy it and I think we need to just shake up the entire yeah, system It's
1: it's not about the writers, the writers are there but the challenge right. is they, the work doesn't get commissioned because right. people go, there, I don't know if
2: there's a market, it's a they,
4: big race They, might not, get right. it, you they know? might not get it, Right? Mm. Exactly. I don't understand yeah, it. Fa- yeah. and then, I guess, yes, Because
1: If all it. the yeah. publishers,
2: if all the yeah. commissioning editors are white, then there is going to be again, there's well, You're going to see another. It.
1: and then if you are a BME writer, you never see yourself so then right. you're going to be like Elizabeth and go could
2: I even write right, because I'm right,
1: right not seeing somebody from my background or my heritage writing so there is
2: a publishing house in the uk but i can't remember which one it was so that's not very oh good oh my me, gosh Headed which up is by
3: charmaine lovegrove
2: exactly yes. who is doing that they, they've got a whole new imprint which is just for bame writers right. um and you know stormsy's
4: stormsy's just done something that's with them, right um penguin as that's well. right you may a maybe it's a they, similar they thing. own roundtable bookshop i was right. just yes. there in brixton yes. so i heard this story about them starting precisely to address this issue, right? Because some of the books that were being brought in to diversify were still books, were not enough, but were also books that weren't always speaking widely. And I think that it's those kinds of initiatives at every level that need to happen. Totally. totally. Okay, Elizabeth,
3: yeah. I was selling you as a slam poet. Yeah. Now, I didn't even know what that was. I don't know how our listeners know what that is. But yeah, what, what is a slam poet?
4: You know, this is a funny word. I think slam makes everything sound <laughs> makes a little more urban. exciting. Yeah, it's um, like young people's thing. Right, things. really I'm a poet who who performs, right? As many poetry traditions happen, oh. they're oral. Oh, and you say them out loud. you just say
3: no? It involves street <laughs> dancing no, and dance-offs. No. <laughs> no.
4: Slam itself, though, is actually not a a um, adjective it's Uh-oh, not a kind of, of, oh, of poetry people oh. often think that a slam is a game a slam is where you show up to uh, a competition
1: where like someone oh. is reciting oh,
4: poetry quick. so that's okay. the slam is the thing yeah it's not it's like the place yeah and the okay. event it's not a right. style of poetry oh, okay. right like i could probably memorize okay. a sonnet and slam that but it's not a slam poem. Okay. It is a poem that I am competing with that I perform really well. So
3: um, could you give us a little little example of slam poetry at all? Or just do any we- poetry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Given that it's not, we can't do it as a competition because I couldn't compete against you. because you're yeah, oh, yeah. oh, Well, it's hard to
4: do something really short, but I guess I'll try. Especially because we were talking about education. I worked at a juvenile detention facility, and this is just a quick piece. Oh, um, what I had to remind myself when I walked into that space. When the girl at the detention center asks you again, why we gotta write these damn poems anyway? Fold back the army knife of your tongue. This is not a place to create more bruises. Teaching creative writing is like convincing skin to graft itself after being wounded. You cannot teach and harm. They must be mutually exclusive. Remember, these are black and brown girls in America. There is hurt here inherited, or otherwise. And trauma is a tapeworm growing in the gut until it gets so big you have to reach into your throat and pull it out from between your smile. Remember, teaching is not community service. Remember, teaching is not an automatic path to calling yourself an activist. Remember, you are not here to save lives. We are all just working on our own mosaic of aches. So remind her we are writing to remind ourselves we are still here and that we can still heal. Oh, my goodness.
3: (laughs)
2: No slamming
3: tonight. You won. Yeah. I was going to speak, but, but I don't think <laughs> I it. Oh, done, Lucy. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next time, definitely. Mm. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. What you have achieved. I tell you what, I'm feeling mildly inadequate right now. Oh. Uh, but keep shining, keep rocking. I thank you again. You all. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much.
0: Us. Badass Women's Hour
1: Excel on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
3: Right now, I would love to welcome our next guest, Paula Diana. Now, she is author of Saving the World, 21st Century Factor for Change, and she's describing it as an international call for gender equality. Now, she is charting feminism, Gender equality throughout the centuries to modern day. So, um, and she joins me now, Paula. Thanks so much for for joining us tonight. Thank
5: you for having me.
3: So, where are we? Yeah. <laughs> where are we in feminism yeah, today? We? How are we doing? Yeah, why do- do- did <laughs> why did you really you needed to
2: write the book? Because surely we're there. So, yeah, <laughs> so the saying. Saying. in our dreams. Night
3: have the maternity policy. Woohoo! Yay! Oh Finally. Oh my god. Yeah. No,
5: seriously, we have to keep fighting, girls. Indeed. This is this is where Fun we are now. We are tired. <laughs> we have to <laughs> be exactly, right outside. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know. I know. It's tiring, but seriously, we have to keep fighting. This is the only way because no. they will never give us the power if we don't do everything to get it. Think about the suffragettes, you know? Yeah. They had to it's really, so really fight it's very hard. It's
3: so sad when you read we couldn't about even what vote,
5: you know? Like, had to, it, they it had was children like, n- yeah. taken
3: away for daring to want to vote. Exactly. Oh, and
5: can't. in other countries, uh, you know, because in the UK we are uh, almost lucky, but in other countries uh, they can divorce you with three words and they can take away all your properties, all uh, your money and everything. I mean women this seriously need, uh, I mean, need help in the sense that we need to have equal rights and equal mm-hmm. opportunities, not only in our country, but everywhere in the world. So this is also a topic uh, that for me is very important in my book. And I talk about this a lot. So we are all sisters and we need to be united. We, we can't be happy if we reach certain you know, rights here in our country and we can't close our eyes because all around the world... It's not the same. So we have to save the wall, you know, gender. And then all these women, they will save men. They will save the, <laughs> the, the world, seriously. As the Dalai Lama said, you know, the world will be saved by the Western woman. I mean, I think it was right. Of course, not only the Western woman. I think from all woman, women, you know, but mm. we really have more compassion, more empathy, you know. So we really care... And we are also against war. If you think about, it. you know, mm. we nurture, you know, our children. We don't want to see them, you know, going to die for stupid, powerful, you know, uh, issues. We That's really, a man thing, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's usually uh, if you look about history, and uh, I have this background. I love history; is my favorite subject. Hang on, Boudicca. She liked war, didn't Bodicea, she? Joan of Arc. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, but they're single women, but you know, I'm, men, I'm yeah. talking about a critical Generally, mass. Yes, that, yes. That's the most important well, thing, Queen you know, Elizabeth not only one woman, like, you know, thing. Thatcher. unfortunately, she wasn't a feminist, she was a great woman, but she, uh, I mean, depending, of course, of your political, uh, you know, side, but she didn't help other women to... Raise. Oh, we need to help other women to raise. So it's a critical mass of women that can really make the difference, can so really change politics. So
3: Paola, why did you decide to do this? Why did you want to look back over the centuries as to what the issues have been for women in, in that fight for gender equality?
5: You know, I think that, first of all, because I'm a victim of a patriarchal culture. Seriously. I How so? I grew up in Italy in a very conservative mm-hmm. family. Uh, my father was uh, a very... Um, respectable man, um, a great Catholic going to church every week, but he was violent inside the house, and no one knew. To
3: your mom, to to you? Uh, Yeah, to me.
5: To me? To me, especially my mom. And we were scared of him, so we were really terrified. We were doing whatever he wanted, you know, in order not to see him doing what he was doing. And so I grew up seeing this, and then when I was 12, I I discovered that other fathers of my friends, they were the same. And I thought these families were perfect from the outside. Mm. These men, they looked fantastic, like my father. You know, people, they still don't <laughs> believe when I talk about that. My brother, he doesn't even talk to me anymore because he's, a, he's upset with me because I'm talking out about your to dad. the media and journalists about this. So it's, you know... That's the, interesting because would, would he have been somebody who would
3: feel the brunt of, you, of your dad as well?
5: No, he was uh, he was in love with my father. You know, now we're grown up. I, of course, when when I then I, I became you know uh, older, I, um, I stopped because he was scared about me talking to other people mm-hmm. and ruining his reputation. So that's why I actually support the Me Too movement very much mm-hmm. because it's all about transparency. I still remember when I was uh, 14 and I said to my father, if you don't stop, I will call this uh, Telephone Azzurro, it's the blue telephone in Italy, and I will ruin your reputation, everyone will know what you do. And he stopped. He stopped. I mean, not the psychological violence. saying that. But, yeah. He was really scared about ruining his reputation. You know, he was a famous doctor, professor, I mean, well-educated. So you can't even say, you know, he wasn't. So that was your
2: first experience, really, of of kind of owning your voice and and seeing a change. Yeah. That actually you you speaking up can actually bring about change. That must have been amazing.
5: Yeah, exactly. And And therefore your book, is your book a call to arms to other people to do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah and because then you know growing up also I came into politics in Italy for 5 years I worked for the former prime minister and uh, behind the scenes so I was uh, in charge of the think tank and then Which prime school, minister? Uh, Romano Prodi I am just checking Yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, Don't indeed. Worry, not Berlusconi
3: yes. <laughs> continue sorry
5: <laughs> And uh, and even there I I saw the boys club you know the way they support each other and the way they discriminate women not because all of them they're bad or misogynistic not not about that they they, just don't care they They don't care care. and you, you know they're comfortable with people
3: they know and you know men get men you know, yeah. women get yeah. women, men yeah. get men. Yeah. And so that can happen. But it doesn't mean you still shouldn't try, obviously. I
2: yeah. think it's more that they just haven't had it pointed out to them. Mm. And I think men, I think boys are being raised slightly differently now. Because as you say, that not just the Me Too movement, but all the conversations in the last 10 years, I think means that we're talking to our boys, our young boys, in a very different way. We're talking about respect for women. Mm. But for a, a different generation, it, it just wouldn't even enter
5: their head. To, yeah, to treat true. women as an equal, mm. it was normal to discriminate women. It was normal to be violent with women. That—that's the point. Mm. Now the public opinion is changing. Thank God. What do you? What do you say to people? I, I've had this conversation a few
1: times actually in my lifetime that there isn't. We're not in a patriarchal society, like. What would you I say wish, to
5: that? I wish, yeah. <laughs> I wish. It's my dream. It's like when they say to me, "Oh, women, they don't need uh, affirmative actions. So they don't need a quote, you know, but but I quote a quota system." But I said, you know, if we were in. A in utopia, you know, <laughs> with the meritocracy everywhere, of course, we don't need we would need, need anything because we can get there. You yeah. know, we are, we are brave, we are intelligent, we are smart, but we are not living in such a society. Unfortunately, the patriarchal system and the, the patriarchal culture is still very strong in many parts of the society. And it has uh, also a lot to do with religion. That's why I'm talking about religion in my book a yeah, lot. Yeah, tell us tell us about that because you you say that there's there's a lot that comes from religion. What did you what have you learned from doing the book? First of all, if you think about the gender of a God, you know, in the, mm-hmm. all the monotheistic religions, all of them, all of them, they have a male God. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it weird? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> All of them. They, they can be different in many other. They can hate each other, you know, people believe in them. Well, but they have this thing, thing in common. Gosh, I never thought so, about it that way. The, the, the fact is that historians and sociologists, of course, they know that religions, they reflect the society of a certain era. So these monotheistic religions, they reflect uh, these, uh, you know, societies uh, that, that came, you know, to, with the agricultural system. They started, you know, these uh, this clans, they started building towns and s- cities. And so they needed to control families and women more because they had to control uh, children. They need to know who were their children, you know, because, mm-hmm. of course, we, we are mothers. <laughs> we mm-hmm. only matter, ch- cer- 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 ter- you know, so only the, mo- the mother is certain. And so this is something unique and, and in all the religions, modern religions, control. So this is the full rouge. You know, if you think about that, they all want to control yes. women's bodies. And our sexuality, of course. Mm. And they tried to put us inside the house to lock us inside and keep the power and politics and money yeah. only for men.
1: Yeah, I heard this because they don't they didn't want to the men didn't want to contribute to paying for or or, or nurturing other children that weren't their
3: own. Yeah. yeah, 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 of well, yeah, yeah. Gosh, we are just scratching the surface, aren't we, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> um, but don't worry, Paula Diana is staying with us and she's going to be talking a little bit more about why men, dads. Should get on board and become feminists. we going to be talking to her after the break.
2: The Fempire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio.
6: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance
0: Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
3: Paula, for you, you say that all dads should be feminist and there's steps, yeah. steps as, as to how dads can become feminists. What, what are they?
5: Yeah, yeah. They, they should become feminists if they're not already. I mean, I know a lot of amazing dads who are already feminists. You know, being a feminist, uh, first of all, is a beautiful thing, you it know, is. because it means willing for equality, willing to have equal rights uh, and equal opportunities for everyone, no matter the gender, no matter the religion, the colour of your skin. So it's only a good thing to be a feminist, first of all, you know, and I also call this man enlightened. I think when they really get rid of superstition, they get rid of these wrong traditions, of you know, and, and they finally understand that it's all about love. It's all about loving each other and helping each other and be empathic. So that's why they should become feminists. It's, it's so simple. I mean,
3: every man, every dad will have a mother. Yeah. How would you want your mum to be treated? If she went out, if she was... Um, abused, discriminated at work, sexually assaulted, just 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 in their daily life. Would you want that if a man who has a daughter who, have, who has um children, daughters, how would they want their kids to, to be treated? Yeah, but
1: sometimes I sometimes but I do like think. That. No, but sometimes I do think there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpick with feminism and understanding stuff that has always been a certain way that actually we're starting to go shouldn't be that way. And I do think there's a lot of guys out there who don't identify being feminist because they genuinely are good humans, but they don't realize how they are perpetuating a culture that is not good for women. And they see stuff, they're like, oh, I don't see a pro. What's the problem with my, mm. with, you know, with those gender specific t shirts? And like, there is, there is lots to kind of educate and and know, and there's I do also think a lot of
2: fear there's as a well. lot of fear, and I think most yeah.
1: people generally think they're good people. so if you if you the the immediate uh, you know response from men is defensiveness because i think a lot of them think they are doing good but they are probably
2: perpetuating the things that are holding women back because sometimes people just can't see it well there was some amazing research recently that showed that if a man has a wife who is at home they are 3 times more likely to not promote women in their right. firm right. that right. their, their yeah, own so corrective true. bias yeah. Yeah. is just yeah. making but but they but they love their wives and they want their companies to do really well. Yeah. So they're not trying to be deliberately difficult. It's just they don't see it. Yeah. yeah. So Is it, that what it's you also, see?
5: Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. But I, that's why we needed to be empowered women ourselves, first of all. You know, we need to be financially independent. We need to find our voice and we need to speak up. Mm. So if a man has this kind of woman in the house, for sure he will understand why it's important to be a feminist. And I'm sure he will want his daughters to become, you know, feminists as well and to live in a world where they're not discriminated well. where do you stand on things like quotas because we've got quite
2: a big initiative here in this country mm. it's called the 30% club where we're really okay, hoping in fact it's, it's succeeded board. having um, more than 30% women on boards of, of FTSE 100 companies and yeah, uh, um, but then the, the downside of that is people say, oh, well, you've only got that job because you're a woman and they wanted to tick that quota box. Oh, my God. And I, and I, I campaigned in Italy well. for the
5: passing of this law and we, we succeeded. Wow. <laughs> I'm totally uh, pro quotas. And I, so I tell much. you why. I tell you why. Because we need affirmative actions. We need affirmative actions because there are many studies that uh, shows you that until a minority, we're not a minority, but in this case, uh, I mean, in politics, we are a minority because we are not represented. We, uh, until a minority is not represented um, at least at thirty percent. Alone by itself, they can't make it. They can't break mm-hmm. the ceiling. So affirmative actions like quotas, they should be temporary, not permanent. Usually, you do for ten years, and then you review this, this, uh, you know, uh, the results, and then eventually you do for other ten years until you get to that point. The changing point is thirty percent. When you will have 30% women inside the parliament, and we hope feminists, they will create In a change, system yeah. and Express. they will start mm-hmm. helping and elevating themselves and choosing themselves and nominating other women. It's fascinating. So definitely we should all be uh, pro-affirmative yeah. Yeah. Out, out actions of, and quotas. Out of everything
3: you have seen, you've researched, what are the fundamental? Changes? What are the fundamental issues, even that you would say women today are facing in terms of gender equality?
5: In my opinion, uh, it's a very complex, uh, um, complex. situation and problem. So it's not only one, we need to uh, s- to change the structure. So we need to change uh, and find the equal pay, as an example. We need to have a 30% minimum representative uh, in politics because politics is very important. We need to have uh, um, equal rights, so, I mean, laws that really protect us. We need to have a new system that uh, helps uh, women against domestic violence, and mm. in my opinion, is... Uh, an emergency, a social Mm -hmm. emergency and women, again, they are the majority of the victims, so it's all connected you can't help women in only one side, you know, because if not, you won't break this cycle, it's a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. so it's all together, and of course talking about these topics, these issues, like you're doing here, in this amazing show, it's really important, seriously you are making the difference, because people the more they will start listening Mm -hmm. about this they will start, you know, questioning about the reality, and many times unfortunately people, they only see what's happening around them, you know. And if they're happy and the two or three women they know they're happy, the neighbor, they're happy, they think that they live in a happy place, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Everyone is happy and women are happy and they have equal rights. But it's not true. Unfortunately, you have to talk about data. You have to talk about researches. You have to go through history, sociology. You have to listen to other people who maybe know more than you or victims who went through, you know, horrible situations. So you can really become more empathetic and really feel, you know, the, the, the suffering. Anybody, anybody listening now,
3: um, hearing us talking about quotas, what would you say to them to say to, to dispel any anger? You know, people will say, you know, understandably, this isn't about quotas. This is about the right person getting the oh, job. Yeah, you know, chestnut. that, that chestnut. But there are going to be many men and women even listening <laughs> yeah. saying, no, you, this is really bad. This is not yeah. the right way to do it. It's, it's through hard work, the right person for the job. What would you say to those listeners?
5: Okay. So first of all, I will have a very big laugh. Without <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Uh, uh, uh. You think all men got the job because they No, because, because, the right no, because seriously, that right? seriously <laughs> it's like they think that in this amazing <laughs> society, <laughs> <laughs> only the top qualified yes. men yes. get inside the boards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. It's yeah. not true. No. It's Mates, totally it's not true. You know. it's, a lot yeah. of the very bad and mediocre men, they are a top of politics. I don't want to... Indeed, yeah, I've got yeah. quite a I few at the top of know. my head. I mean, but yes, think you know, one on the of the top you. of politics yeah. in the yeah. UK I mean, right you now. Yeah, door David Cameron or I in mean,
3: George Osborne because, you know,
5: they're good mates from uni. So we just have to laugh all together. you it's not for men, but dare
3: women. Or ethnic minorities do the same
5: thing. I mean, again, studies, they found out that the more yeah. competition you create, yeah. and in this case, you know, installing new women inside the game of power, you know, it's more competition. So it's more competition. For men as well, they so got to up their game, so, better workers. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the best men they will stay in power, and the worst ones they will be whipped out. in the system. Yeah, yeah so well, well so you I would say know.
3: that, but some people might argue the state of politics right now that that's not necessarily always the case. But yeah, I will move on from that. I but must admit, I
2: I don't want to sound like a party pooper. There, we can also hold ourselves back as women. Oh, yeah. And there is other research that shows that when a man and a woman get told about a job... in the offing, the man will think I'm going to go for that it, job.
3: I can do yeah. it. Maybe, yeah. maybe not
2: even in an American accent, but they would say <laughs> I'm going to go for that job. Whereas the woman says, "Oh, but there are like ten tasks, ten oh, not there elements yet. of the role that I need mm, to fulfil, and I've only really got eight but of why, those." But why do women do that? Because do men we have we been do nurtured that, that exactly. way to do that. Oh and women have. So remembered. that's what we need to Very celebrate much. with it. When we're raising our girls, we have to do exactly the yeah. same. Yeah, as and we're all the teachers, little
5: Red Riding Hood. They told us we have to be scared about going walk inside the woods you know because we could get killed this is how they nurture us seriously but again that what it is is a
2: really subtle coercive control in all of the that kind of storytelling in all of the myth making around religion it is all about um making the woman Powerless, yeah. because in yes. a funny way they've always yes. known how powerful we really are, yeah. and there are elements of our physiognomy that they find very scary and very, uh, you know, words that maybe I can't use before nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they say to themselves, yeah. no, this this is too too powerful. Women are too, if they you know if they're mystical centuries ago they were burned at the stake because mm-hmm. they were described as witches. They weren't witches. They were just different healers. They had
5: different. Oh my power. God. No, 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 no. Witches. The word. The best of us. Yep. it was a, mm-hmm. it was a genocide mm-hmm. seriously yeah. which is the word the best of us and I think girls we were witches seriously yeah. if we were living in that I'm well period up for of time the witchy stuff. yeah <laughs> well e- up for that. if you were free they were the human, original badass women <laughs> if you were powerful if you were outspoken and unapologetic mm-hmm. you were a witch, witch. they had to burn yeah. you because they couldn't control you and again control so yeah.
2: you see it's all about coercive control yeah and and the problem with that is that of course it's so subtle so it doesn't look like you're controlling anyone at all. in fact we're being really benevolent Mm. we're giving you all of this we're giving you a whole structure to live by which is really soothing and no, you have yeah. to fight that. Yeah. Oh well, my god. Yeah.
5: Women we have to be fighters. Men,
3: cat, dog. <laughs> Let's
0: get witchy. Whoever
3: you're in the channel or in a witch. You, <laughs> <laughs> you want to understand about this feminist movement and why we can all be a part of this. It's better for the men, it's better for the women. It's better for the world. Paula Danners, author, author of Saving the World Twenty First Century, Factor for Change. Her book's out now. Paula, really good talking to you. Thank you so Thank much.
0: You. One, two, three, four!
2: This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.